Thank you, Pastor Brian. It's, it's always a pleasure to be able to come up here and to share the word of the Lord with, with the church. It's uh, Jen and I, we've been here for almost a year and a half, and it's been a pleasure. It's been such a growth process. It's been, I, I thought seminary was challenging, and then I came to Mount Hope, and it's just <laughs> been wonderful. I've, we've come across wonderful people who love us and who have been pushing on, especially I want to thank, thank Pastor Rick and Pastor Brian. They've just been pouring their lives into me, Paulette and Mary and all the staff. They've just been wonderful. The elders, they've supported us in prayer. And for that, we are very thankful. Um, and it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Warning signs. They're everywhere. No matter where you turn, you'll see one. Some of them are serious, life and death. Some of them not so much a recommendation, like the 55-mile speed limit. On <laughs> a recommendation. Some are just plain ridiculous. Recently, Forbes did, a, did an article on the, they, they titled it, The 25 Dumbest Signs Out There. You can look it up, it's funny. And for, for the purposes of today, I picked a few, and I'll, I'll put them up, and you judge how ridiculous they may be. I didn't know we had to put that on a product. I think it was just an inane thing that we thought we should avoid. <laughs> now, going through these signs, I wonder to myself, what could a person have possibly done to warrant them putting this label on there? You know, there's somebody out there who did one of those things. <laughs> when we laugh at warnings like this, the, the reality is that these warnings exist for a reason. Unfortunately, some of us, we don't pay attention or we flat out ignore. We are met with unfortunate, uh, unfortunate uh, consequences. Warning signs are all around us. Some we choose to pay attention to, and some we ignore. What is it about warning signs that are so important? And what are the warning signs that we need to pay attention to? What happens when we ignore them? Today, I want to explore one such warning that Jesus is giving his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 13 through 16, and I'll read, I read from the ESV. And he left them and got into a boat again, and he went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, if you've been with us for a, a few weeks now, a few months now, we've been going through this series in Mark. Last week, we were in chapter 6, 
And all of a sudden, here I am jumping to chapter 8. Don't worry, there is a connection there. And we'll, we'll go back and work through chapter 7. But in chapter, in chapter 8, Jesus is giving his disciples a warning. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the leaven of Herod. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is in essence saying, sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. Now, I have a quick apology to make. If you opened up your bulletins this morning, you may have seen the title of my message, Bread Making with Jesus. I thought it was a little more clever. But it just, it just worked out that as I explored a little bit more, it's more about sweating the small stuff. And so I titled my message today, Sweat the Small Stuff. To understand what he's really saying, we have to go back to chapter 6. So in chapter 6, a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian had spoke, uh, spoke about Jesus sending out his disciples. Now, they, he had worked with them, and he had talked, and he had trained them. And about early in his ministry, Jesus sends them out saying, go do something new. He sends them out with instructions, with a set of instructions, and he tells them, go into Galilee, go into those villages, and proclaim these things that I am telling you. Now, the disciples, when they were going, it was an odd set of instructions they got. Don't take this, don't take that, you do this, stay in the place until I tell you to leave, and all these things, and they are, now, they, now we come to chapter 6, verse 30, and they're coming back. So all they had, they, whatever they had set out to do, they accomplished, they worked hard, they traveled far, they're coming back to Jesus, and, 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 the, and verse 30 says they were ex- telling him everything that they had done and they had taught. Immediately Jesus realizes, you know, they've worked hard, they've done everything that I've asked them to do, they're tired, and let's go take a break. Essentially, what Jesus is saying, let's, let's take a break, let's go off to the beach at the Sea of Galilee, let's turn off our cell phones, let's turn off our emails, let's turn everything off, let's take a break, let's, let's relax, let's just calm down, and then we'll start over again. So they do. But what's interesting is as they are leaving, Jesus is saying, let's go off to a desolate place, a place where no one should know where we are. You know, we all always, we want to do that. We want to get away from our busy schedules and our work and everything. We want to get away so that no one can find us and just be able to recharge. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. So Jesus and the disciples, they get into a boat and they go on to the other side. But the interesting Matter here is Mark records that the people in the area, they saw Jesus leaving. And so they started to follow him. Some, as a matter of fact, they ran from towns on foot and they got there ahead of Jesus. Now, why did Jesus even take the boat if they could have just done that in the first place? There's Jesus, they're traveling, they're hoping for a a break, a, a vacation from everything, and here are the people greeting them saying, feed us, talk to us, tell us what you're all about. When Jesus sees that, he's drawn by compassion, and immediately he begins to teach them. He begins to minister to them. 
Now, when I was a little kid, I lived, I've, told, I've shared this before, I've lived in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and we, we attended church there, um, a lot of different circumstances. But when I was in school, and most people, whether you're in school or whether you're working, you got two weeks off at different times of the year for the religious celebra- celebrations of, in Islam. So you have Ramadan, where they fast for a month, so you got a week off for that, and then you have Eid, which ends... Ramadan. So we got two weeks off. For me, I love, I'm in school as a kid. I'm looking forward to that one week. I've worked hard. I've done so much and studies are hard. I just need to take a break where I don't have to wake up at five in the morning. I don't have to do anything. Just relax. But my church had a different (laughs) approach to this vacation time. So we, call, we had something that's called the tarry meeting. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you know what those tarry meetings are like. But the tarry meetings back in the Middle East were a little different. When they, meet, when they said tarry, they meant tarry. We would start at 10 o'clock in the morning and go till 7 o'clock in the evening. And it was just a room packed with people, 100 to 200 people packed in a room quarter the size of this, all sitting on our knees, worshiping and praying and just, worship, just ministering to each other. Now, as a kid, that was the last place I wanted to be. <laughs> I've had so much church. I've, had, I've been in church. I grew up in the church. And so that's pretty much the last place I wanted to be. I had worked hard, and all I want is a break. And here we are in church, we start, we start at 10 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock rolls around and I'm thinking, it's done, no it's not, there's another person who wants to pray, 3 o'clock rolls around, 5 o'clock rolls around, and no one's done. Another person wants to be prayed over, another person wants to speak, another person wants to sing. And as I'm looking at these disciples, I can feel the same frustration that I had as a kid. I just want to go. I want to get out. I want to play with my friends. I want to just relax. I want to do this. And I can see the same frustration that the disciples have. They, they came here to relax. But Jesus, instead, he, see, he is moved with compassion because when he looks out at the crowd, he doesn't see an obstacle to relaxation, but instead he sees a people hurting. He sees, he doesn't see another assignment. He sees people who are hungry and who are needy. They're searching for a savior. They're searching for meaning and for value. And Jesus is drawn by compassion to them and he ministers to them. So as the day goes by, just like back in the Middle East, from morning till evening, they were there, they were listening, they were just, they were just soaking it all in and the disciples realized that the sun's about to set. And so they come up to Jesus and said, Jesus, okay, this is it. Let's wrap it up. The sun's about to set. The evening's come. Let's send them away. Let them go and buy their food. But Jesus, in his own way, says, no, you feed them. And now the disciples think this is a joke because Mark records that there were 5,000 men now, if you would kind of extrapolate that number, they would, if you double that, you have 10,000 with the women, and if you add children, you could have easily over 15,000 people in that place. And here is Jesus telling 12 men, who basically their entire livelihood is following Jesus around. Not a very lucrative profession. And he's telling them, you buy them dinner. 
And he says, how, how do we do this? So, so he says, what do you have? And they bring him five loaves and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. A little boy's lunch. Jesus blesses that and he tells, start handing it out. They hand it out, 15,000 plus people are fed. A miracle. As these people are fed, the disciples go out and collect. They collect 12 baskets full of bread. Now, a few days later, they, they are traveling again. They get on a boat, and they come over to the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis, if you remember from a few weeks ago, was this portion to the bottom. So at Decapolis were 10 cities that the, the Romans had built, that Alexander the Great had built. And so most of, what's, most of the people there were Gentiles. There are no Jews. To the Jews, they would have seen that place as unclean. As a Jew, you would not want to go there. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian had mentioned in his sermon that Jesus went there before. He went there to heal, and as he gets there, he heals a demon-possessed man drives out the demons from him into the pigs, and they all just jump off a cliff. And as, if you remember, the story ends with Jesus and his disciples being kicked out. They all come up to him and say, do not come back. We don't want anything to do with you. And here is Jesus and his disciples going right back in. They're going back to a place they're no longer welcome, a Gentile territory, a place where they would have seen unclean. The disciples are uncomfortable. But again, in the style of Jesus, as he gets there, guess who? There's a crowd there to receive him. In Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, I'll read from the English Standard Version. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desolate place? Again, a crowd comes around Jesus, same situation, but a different context. And Jesus is again drawn by compassion to feed them. So he tells them, all right, you feed them. I've done this before. You know how, the, how, it, how it goes. You feed them. And the only response they have is, how can we feed them in a, in a desolate place? They're stating the painfully obvious. They're saying, Jesus, there is no shop that they could run out to. There's no stop and shop or market basket. If there's, there's nothing around here. There's not a bakery. There's not a Chick-fil-A. There's no Panera bread. No one can go out into this, into this wilderness to find bread. What are you telling us to do? You see, these are the same disciples who were with Jesus a few days ago, and they saw Jesus multiply five loaves into so much bread that it would feed 15,000 people. And here are just 4,000, so you could do the math again, and you would say about 10,000 to 12,000 people or so, and a smaller number, yet they do not remember what happened a few days prior. Aren't we like that sometimes? Sometimes we look... When we are faced with a problem, maybe even a smaller problem than what we've faced before, we're completely out of sorts. What do we do, Lord? I can't handle this. And all he's saying, look back. 
Turn around and look at what I've done already. I've accomplished much more in your life. And just like before, the disciples go and find seven loaves and two fish, and they bring it to Jesus. He does the same thing. He blesses it, feeds the, the 4,000 to 12,000 people, and they pick up seven basketfuls. You see, more than the miracle, what Jesus is doing, he is doing a greater work in the disciples than he is doing amongst the people. What he's telling them is, when you see these people, all you're seeing is an extra assignment. You're, see, you're seeing people who are in your way when you want to go take a break. You're seeing people who are needy. You're seeing people who are hungry. And all you can think of is, how can I fulfill this assignment? But Jesus is saying, no, let's look at it another way. When he looks at the hungry, when he looks at the needy, when he looks at the one who is sick, he's drawn by compassion. When people come across your lives and my life today, how do we respond? I often think about when I'm driving through Boston and there's that guy on the side of the road. Am I drawn by compassion or am I drawn by skepticism? If I give him a dollar, that dollar is going to, he's going to drink it away. He's going to smoke it away. Am I thinking that or am I drawn by the same compassion that Jesus was drawn by. He's asserting his lordship both in, amongst the Jews in Galilee and amongst the Gentiles in the Decapolis. He's saying, no matter where I go, I am still Lord, I can still provide, and I still have compassion. When I see those who believe in me and I see those who do not believe in me, I still have the same compassion for them. And he is challenging the disciples to do the same thing. Today, he is looking at each and every one of us, no matter where you may be, are you drawn? What drives you? When you see the hurt and when you see the need, when you see injustice, when you see things falling apart, what drives you? Are you driven to to write it off and say it will take care of itself, or are you driven by compassion to deal with your circumstance? Jesus is saying, let compassion drive you. So the story continues, and we come down to chapter 8, verses 11, and he's talking, um, he's talking about the Pharisees. I'm not, I'm not there yet, John. Uh, he's talking about the Pharisees. So they get on a boat again, and they go over to the other side. Now, they do a lot of getting on boats and getting on to the other side. They're never in one place. But they get over to the other side, and guess who they're met by? The Pharisees, the good old religious leaders, the, the leaders in the community. The, the priests, they meet Jesus there and they say, all right, Jesus, we've heard a lot about you, but we want to believe in you. We want to believe that you are who you claim to be, the Son of God, the Messiah. We want to believe all that, but we need one more sign, a sign from heaven. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were not always the straightforward kind. Jesus knew that. And as soon as they asked him, he saw right through their question, and he saw right through their challenge, and he, de he de determined that they were not there to believe, they were not there to examine, they were not there to change their lives, but instead they were there to test and to trap him. They were there to make him stumble over his words. They were there to destroy his ministry. And Jesus immediately refuses them, and he says, I will not perform an on-demand miracle. He leaves there, gets on a boat, and goes over to the other side. And now this is where we come to that warning. 
He is on this boat, and he's talking to his disciples. Now, I read before that they had forgotten to take bread. Now, if you and I were there, we would imagine that at this point, we know Jesus. We know he can take one, or he can take five, he can take seven, and feed a multitude. And Mark clearly records that all they had was one loaf of bread. And so Jesus is warning them in Mark, in, in Mark 8, he's warning them, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And guess where the disciples go immediately? They go to the fact that they have no bread. Forgetting the fact that everything around them till now has been miraculous. Forgetting the fact that they had no bread, they had no ability to feed the people, they, and yet God provided for them. They go back, and in 17 through 21, I'll read this. Jesus rebukes them, and he says, and Jesus, aware of this, he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, having eyes do you not see, having ears not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you, did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said, do you still not understand? We do the same thing, don't we? We look back or we're faced with that circumstance and that, that problem, the sickness that's too big for us to handle, the depression that's just too much, everything around us is falling apart, the rebellious kids, the sick parents, the cancer that no treatment can drive away. And we look at those and we say, I can't handle this. And Jesus is looking at us today and he's saying, look back, turn around. Were you not there when I healed you? Were you not there when I provided a job when you were unemployed? Were you not there when I blessed you with, with everything that you, were, you could not even imagine? When I opened those doors when there was everything shut in your face? He's saying, look back. When I was much younger, there was a song that we learned in Sunday school, and you probably remember this. Count your blessings. Count your blessings is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look back, count, look at what I have done. Name them one by one. Let, them, let all these blessings come back to you. Let the healings and let everything proclaim to you of who I am. Because I am Lord. I am God. I have control over every situation. I have control over every circumstance that you may face. I have control over the land and the seas. I am the one who created the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that is impossible for me. Jesus is looking at you and your circumstance and saying, decipher correctly. Are you looking at your problem or are you looking at the God who solves the problem? See, Mark is basically saying even the disciples, they were the closest to Jesus than anyone ever else was. And they had a hard time. 
So dear ones, when we have a hard time, don't be dismayed. It happens. Sometimes we just have a hard time figuring out what God's doing. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And Mark is saying, cry out to the Spirit, cry out to the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us through those situations. Now, Jesus asked the disciples, do you not understand? Let's look at that warning he gives his disciples. He says, in Mark 8, verse 15, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, he also records the same exact story. And there he records, Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're both accounts are same. They're just saying it. They're recording it from their own perspectives. So basically, here you have Jesus telling the disciples, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. See, in Scripture, whenever God mentions something twice, it's a good indication that you need to pay attention. See, when, a, when he calls Abraham, he doesn't call Abraham. He calls Abraham, Abraham. When he's talking to Samuel, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And Jesus is using the same technique here, and he says, watch out, beware. Two of the same, two different words, but the same meaning. And anytime you have that, there is something important that's about to be said. What he's basically saying is, be careful. Take heed of what I'm about to say. Avoid whatever I am about to say. Take notice. Be cautious. Be very. Be on your guard. Guard against whatever comes after these two words. And he is saying, take notice. Stop whatever you're doing and pay attention. He cannot emphasize this enough. So what exactly is Jesus warning them? He warns them to watch out for the leaven. Now, what is leaven? If you've been here uh, over the past few weeks, we've talked about leaven. In the Old Testament times, leaven is like the equivalent of our yeast that we use in baking today. It's a baking term. Basically, when you put yeast into the dough, it ferments and it basically lifts the dough. It makes it rise. Back then, they would use leaven. Leaven, in, when Jesus talks about it, most of the time he talks about it in negative terms. Leaven in and itself is not a bad thing. They used to use it all the time. But when Jesus is talking, this is what he's saying. He's using it in the sense of a pervasive influence, an influence that has a way of creeping in, that will modify or transform whatever it comes into contact with. It's like a mold that once it comes in, it just brings death around it. It's basically, Jesus is saying, watch out for the leaven. Watch out because it has an influence that is so strong that you may not be powerful enough to overcome it. So why is Jesus using the image of a lemon, uh, of leaven? You see, with leaven, you don't need much. If you have a, enough dough to make bread, in most recipes, you'll see just a pinch of yeast. A little yeast can, can leaven the whole bread. Basically, Jesus is saying, watch out, be careful, 
of even a little bit of the influence of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod. He is saying even a little can destroy the work that's happening in you, the bread that's being created, the work that God is, Jesus is doing in your life, the Holy Spirit is creating in your life, that God is forming the bread that he's making out of your life. Even a little bit of their influence can destroy the whole batch. And he's warning them, watch out for the Pharisees. Who are these Pharisees? You see, the Pharisee was the religious leader of the day. They were teachers and they were the leaders. Historians record that they were a very large group and they had considerable influence. They emphasized allegiance to scripture and to, and to tradition. They believed that every action in life had to be regulated. If the Pharisees were known for one thing, they were known for their rules and their regulations. You see, they were legalistic in the fact that everything had to be followed to the dot. They were based on rules and regulations. If you broke one of them, you became a sinner, whether it was in the scripture or not. They followed the law for their own motives. In everything, they had ulterior motives. They, followed the, they exaggerated their humility. They would go around pouring ashes over their head and proclaiming that they were in fasting. They were just always exaggerating themselves. They always kept looking for new commandments that they could apply and they could basically enforce on other people. They were people who proclaimed the word but never kept it. They followed the law only for the love of reward or the fear of punishment. They knew that just by proclaiming and following, people would see them and say, oh, look at how great that man is. These are the Pharisees. These are the hypocrites. You may say, Pharisees, are they even here anymore? But I say, forget the Pharisees in the real sense, and let's look at the spirit of the Pharisee. Doesn't the spirit of the Pharisee exist today? Do we not encounter hypocrisy and legalism and all this stuff in the church and outside? These are grown men playing pretend. Now, if you've ever watched a little child play around with their kitchen toy set, they're playing with the, with the stove and they're playing with the pans and the, and, and the spoons. In their minds, they're doing something legit. They're doing something creative. But all they're doing is flipping air. This is the image that Jesus gives of the Pharisees. They were hypocrites. We all encounter hypocrisy in the church. The Barna Group, they did a study re recently. They've done plenty of these. And you can find this study in the book, Unchurched. They came up with many reasons of why people leave the church, both adults and young people. And so many of the reasons included the church is old-fashioned. Church is too involved in politics, out of touch with reality. They're boring. They're not accepting of other faiths. They're anti-homosexual. But there are two that top their list. 91% of people, of young people especially, who left the church, they mentioned that they did because the church was too judgmental. 85% of the people who left said that the church was too hypocritical. These are people who have not even encountered, these are not the people who have had an encounter with Jesus yet. We're not even talking about them. We're talking about the people who were in the church. They were in these seats. They left because they found something that they could not agree with inside the church. 
These are the people that we grew up with in youth groups. These are the people that found Jesus at a very young age and just became wary of what they found in the church. This the study continues. In virtually every study we conducted, representing thousands of interview every year, born-again Christians failed to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Basically what they're saying, the people in the church and the people outside the church were virtually indistinguishable. They looked the same. When asked to identify their activities of the last 30 days, Christians, and this doesn't represent everybody, but this represents the people that Jesus is talking about, the Pharisees in and outside the church. He says, Christians were just as likely to bet, gamble, visit a pornographic website, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic, to physically fight or abuse somebody, to have consumed enough alcohol to be, to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal or non-prescription drug, to have lied, to have gotten some, uh, back at someone in revenge, to have gossiped. You see, these are the things that happen inside the church. And this is the Pharisee that Jesus is calling out against. The Pharisee is the one who does these things. The Pharisee is the one who proclaims to the world that I am a Christian, I am born again, I am redeemed by the blood, and yet continues in his sins. Yet continues doing whatever he deems appropriate. And to the disciples, Jesus is saying, do not be influenced by these people. The question is, how much of these Pharisees have influenced your life and my life? How much of their influence have you let in? Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. The Sadducees. In Matthew we read, he says, watch out for the leaven of the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees, on the other hand, were also leaders, but they were more on the political side. They were also religious, but they had more of a, a, more of a say, more influence with the, the upper class. They stressed a limited use of scripture and a limited use of tradition. They didn't want scripture dealing in with every issue of their life. They compromised their religious ideals to get ahead. They wanted to fit in whatever the public, op- public opinion of was on that day, they fit in. They did whatever it took to retain political power and influence. They did whatever it took to amass wealth. In those days, they sided with the Romans because it was the thing to do against their own people. They wanted power. They were minimalist. They didn't want spiritual regulations in their lives. They didn't want the word telling them what to do and what not to do. These were the Sadducees. Remind you of today? People who want nothing, who do not want God in their lives because God becomes a burden. Because God tells them they can't have fun anymore. Because God being Christian means having to put my ambitions down. The Sadducees of the day. Their spirit still lives on. 
Spirit lives on in those people who will justify Scripture to fit their lifestyle, not the other way around. Those who will trample on anyone for their selfish ambitions. The one who will trade morality for power and wealth. The ones who will choose to be politically correct instead of standing up for injustice. The people who remain quiet when others, are, others face injustice. Those were the Sadducees of that day. Those are the Sadducees of today. And Jesus is telling his disciples, watch out, be careful, avoid them. The leaven of the Sadducees. And finally, he says, avoid the leaven of Herod. Who is Herod? We talked a few weeks ago. Herod was the one who, who killed John the Baptist. You remember what kind of lifestyle he led. He was a man who was the epitome of moral corruption. He did whatever, he lived the philosophy of whatever makes happy is okay. He lived in a time where he took his brother's wife because that's what he just wanted to do. He divorced his own. Whatever he thought was appropriate, whatever he thought was fun, whatever he thought would make him happy, he said that was okay. Does that remind you of today? The immorality that has gripped our culture is astounding. Happiness is king. Whatever makes me happy goes. Turn on the TV, pick up a magazine, do whatever, and you will see that sex and violence just overtakes everything else. We are drawn as a culture to these values. Hollywood's propaganda, secularism, the homosexual agenda, Everything has taken over our culture, and we are in a gaze, we are in a trance when we look at it. God has been kicked out of the classroom. He's been kicked out of the courtroom. He's been kicked out of the boardroom. He's too archaic. He's too old-fashioned. He doesn't, he's not a 21st century God. He, he, his, his morals don't apply today. That's the Herod of this world culture. Jesus is saying, beware, watch out, be careful of the culture that you're in. See, culture says anything goes at whatever cost. I'm not hurting anybody, so why can't I take something that doesn't belong to me? I'm not hurting anybody, so why can't I do whatever I want sexually? I'm not hurting anybody, so why can't I do what I want to do because it makes me happy? See, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. I'll read from the ESV, and then we'll read from the message. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is written in a little bit of, of language that we may not understand. So let, let me read this in today's language. I'm reading from the message. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who do not care about God will not be joining the kingdom. 
Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from the experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our master, our Messiah, and by God, our pre- who's present in us, the Spirit. You see, Paul's looking at the church, this, the, the problems that we face today was a problem that the Corinthians church, Corinthian church faced back then. And he's looking at them and he's saying, the same problems that you face. You cannot get into the kingdom of God that way. So what do we do with this warning? When I lived in Missouri, on my way to work every day, I had to drive under this one bridge. And this is what I would see. Almost, it was a monthly occurrence. There would be a truck that would drive through, not see that sign that says clearance 11 11 feet and six inches and drive right through. And this is what would happen. Right around this time in Boston, we see this. Anyone drive through Storo Drive or Memorial Drive? All the U-Hauls moving into BU and the colleges around there? Students come in and they just drive in, not knowing, not looking at the sign above. In fact, Boston.com, they put a map of the most places that have these accidents. That's how many that happen on a yearly basis. Warning signs are everywhere, on everything. And Jesus is telling us, watch out, beware. Some we, some we pay attention to, some we don't. We must never underestimate the power of little things. Jesus is telling them, sweat the small stuff. You see, leaven in itself is very little. All it needs, all you need is a little leaven to leaven the whole batch. All you need is a little bit of the influence of culture, of compromise to destroy the entire work. Must never underestimate the power of little things. Beware of even a little influence. And I'll call the worship team back up. But what do we do with this, with this warning? You see, when I I painted a drastic picture of the church today, but that's not the reality. The reality is that the Lord is preparing a bride that is unblemished, that is spotless, that he will receive in the days to come. There is a bride in the church. There is a people that are holy. The reality is that we are being made holy day by day, and he will come in the clouds to receive us. And we talk about that, and we know that in us. So how do we examine each and every one of our own lives? Look at the little things that come into your lives. You see, the alcoholic doesn't become an alcoholic overnight. It started with the first sip. The drug addict started with the recreational use. An affair doesn't just happen overnight. It happens with that first flirt. You don't get into $100,000 in debt. Immediately, it happens with that first dollar irresponsibly spent. Jesus is saying, sweat the small stuff. Examine the little areas that you let, the TV that influences you, the magazines that you read, the people that you hang out with, the small things in life. He's saying, sweat the small stuff. Well, what if it's already creeped in? 
You see, addressing any issue when the word confronts us, the first thing that we can do. Now, if you've ever been in an AA group or a 12-step program, the first step is to admit that you have a problem. Let's call sin for what it is. Let's stop saying, I am weak, I can't control myself. Let's stop making excuses for things in us and around us. Let's call sin for what sin really is. Anything that misses the ideal of what God has said is sin. And Jesus is saying, watch out for the influence of that in your lives. The first thing we can do is to confess, is to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've let myself go. I've let myself be influenced. Secondly, you see, the Pharisees, they pursued religion for their own motives of reward and punishment or whatever they wanted. But Jesus calls us to a re relationship. He calls us to pursue him. He calls us to spend time in his presence. He calls us to read and to meditate on his word. He calls us to pray and meditate on his presence. Let's pursue a relationship with him. And finally, you see, all of this, none of this is, is possible without the help of the Holy Spirit. We're all Pentecostals. We are a Pentecostal church. And the thing that we proclaim is that the Holy Spirit is here today. He is powerful. He is, he is beyond our comprehension. He can lead us through these situations. If you want to get through that influence of the Pharisee or the Sadducee or the Herod, you need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The, the best thing that we can do today is to cry out to the Holy Spirit saying, come empower us to handle our day. Again, Jesus is looking at the disciples. He's looking at us today. Watch out. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisee, of the Sadducee, of Herod. He's basically saying, sweat the small stuff. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that comes to us. We thank you for a word that confronts us today. We thank you for a call to holiness. We thank you for a call to avoid the things that corrupt us. Father, I pray that you would speak into each and every one of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us. You would give us the ability to stay strong, to stand strong, and to finish well. In Jesus' name I pray.